The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the South Side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes May 10th. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply. You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Yor, joined by Shotgun Spratling and cousin of the pod, Chris Trevino. Call me Chris one more time. I actually learned that reference today, so. I'm going to start calling you Jim. Well, then I'm going to call you by your real name, <laughs> Bratling. That's probably going to get bleeped. So if you don't know what his real name is, you're not going to know what his real name is. <laughs> the second podcast in a row where I've had to censor you, Chris. I got I to gotta start a streak of some sort. I'm getting <laughs> the, the visual bits are getting boring. Now I got to up the ante. I got I to gotta get bleeped. I got to oh, get bleeped. No. Oh, no. I, I guess. Troublemaker. He wants to get on this podcast and he's trying to create trouble and extra work like a, for I'm, the editing wow i'm like an angsty teen i'm lashing out i'm lashing out at my parents they won't let me have any fun they won't let me be on the podcast officially and this is why we keep chris around and but, also in limbo but my sister gets to be on the pod angsty listen to heavy metal anyways anyway i think we're supposed to talk about like usc or something in this podcast yes that that oh, okay. great yep and speaking of which usc just wrapped up it's 2021 National Signing Day, which is kind of sad. They kind of took away the early signing period, kind of took away the fanfare. But we'll get into it. We'll also rate the class. We'll give it a grade on both sides of the ball. And overall, we'll talk about USC's additions. They had a couple pickups on the staff, so we'll talk about that. We'll get into your questions. Thanks to everyone who sent us questions. And as a reminder, you can send us questions or submissions to the podcast at familyfeudpod at gmail.com. You can also look out for a tweet that Shotgun sends out on Thursdays. And then to finish off the pod, we'll get into Chris's classic segment, Take It or Leave It. I told you don't call me Chris. <laughs> what am I supposed to call you? I can't really flip this table. <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty in there. So you're lucky. Okay, good. You know, we're also lucky, Chris. What's that? Because we have a sponsor today. Wait, a real sponsor? Oh, yeah. This is okay. I know this is like weird for people. This is not a fake real corporate sponsor. This is a real, real corporate sponsor. This is real, real corporate sponsor. You guys are getting way too in depth with this. I can't keep up. Special thanks to Trader Joe's for sponsoring the Parastyle podcast. We love Trader Joe's. They're a friend of the pod. They've given us submissions to the pod. Also, I've heard that Trader Joe's is a part of Stock Neutral Nation. So. Just shouts out to that. Uh, they're stocked down now after hearing that. Shaka, no. Uh, I, bet, I better get a box of maple cookies before too long. <laughs> Is that the like repentance? Yeah, yeah. If, if I get maple cookies, then it's back stock up. Okay, good to know. Trader Joe's maple cookies. Are you implying that the corporate entity of Trader Joe's is uh, sentient and approves of stock <laughs> neutral? Is that what you're saying? Yes. Wow, that's big. I know. Yeah, so... Uh, Shouts to the nation and shouts to Trader Joe's. Am I right? I'm right. She might be right. I, I was going to be pro Keely this this podcast because I was pro shotgun he last did, year. So he did I'm, promise I'm on Keely's side for today. So yeah, go with the nation. <laughs> Incredible. Wow. I'm fired up to do this podcast now. 
Well, speaking of which, let's just get into the pod. USC wrapped up its 2021 class, or did they? There's a big fish still swimming out there. We'll get into that. Gulp, gulp. I don't know why people say gulp, gulp for fish because they don't swallow the water. You ever seen a koi? (laughs) Visual bit. Visual bit. (laughs) Visual bit. First one. Wow, Keely on the board. Just imagine Keely gulping like a koi pond, a koi fish in a koi pond. No, no, there was no sound. There was nothing. We're just staring at her. She's losing it. We're not even five minutes into this. I warned them. This is going to be delirious pot. That's a great visual bit. That's a Hall of Famer, I think. Thanks. I tried. I guess first off, we kind of knew what this class was going to be at the end of the early signing period. USC did get some big pickups. What were your guys' thoughts when they put the bow on this class? We already knew what this class was going to be after January second. Actually, you know, you got a you know big pickups for USC with Corey Foreman signing uh, in December, but not announcing until the All American Bowl uh, Declaration Day that they had. Have being able to pull him in the number one player in the country that's huge for this class. But also adding Sierra Wright, you know, the top cornerback in California, another four star prospect on that defensive side. So you knew what the class was going to be basically after that day. There's still a couple guys that were going after, and they picked up a big one yesterday. Getting Rayshon Davis, I think he adds something that's completely unique in this class with his ability to run sideline to sideline. The fact that he is so versatile, he can be used as a pass rusher, he can be used as a guy in coverage. I think that's a a key piece for this defense going forward whenever he jumps into the lineup I think he's a guy that you can potentially use him in a variety of ways similar to the way that Talano Hufunga was used last year now he's not gonna play safety like Talano Hufunga but he can be used as a pass rusher. he can be used in coverage you can do different things with him which allows this defense so many more options because then you're not you're not stuck with okay this guy has to do this to be good and what can we do around that uh, it, with this defense. No, you just have so many more options and the way that uh, Todd Orlando likes to blitz from so many different places and bring so many different people, I, I think that having those options really opens things up for him. So adding him in there, and the same thing with Corey Foreman. He's a guy that, that's an elite pass rusher, but he and Drake Jackson have the capability, have the athleticism to drop in coverage when you know when they start doing so well as a pass rusher that they're getting double teamed. So that's what you're looking for. You know, then you can create some offset lines and stuff, and you create pressures from the other side where you know you're dropping that guy into coverage and you get an interception like Drake Jackson had this year. So they're not going to drop in coverage a lot. I think people are making you know are confused about that a little bit about how much that they're dropping into coverage. But you, when you're an elite pass rusher and you start doing that just expands the playbook for the defensive coordinator and I think Rajon Davis in particular does that as well my big takeaway was how it felt like one of those not oh the way USC usually closes in February how they close really strong obviously because the February signing period is had a lot of its luster taken away by December but USC still was able to close out uh especially on the defensive side, with their three highest-ranked prospects in Corey Foreman, Rajon Davis, yeah. and Sierra Wright. So that's your three top right there to close out the class. That, that's excellent. And then that, and that's based off the 24-7 sports ranking because uh, those are your three top 100-ranked players. And if you're going by the composite, Jackson Dart is also a top 100 player, but that's four right there. So just another ex- uh, uh, excellent close. They did miss out on the Texas offensive lineman, Austin Uke, but... Going into that, USC was a a potential contender, but it always it, the night before it just felt like there was not a lot of clear information coming out. It didn't seem like he had his mind made up. 
there seemed to be like a little bit of a media freeze out what was going on with his recruitment and Stanford ended up being the pick. Uh, education was valued highly by the family. So no surprise there that he picked the Cardinal. But uh, I don't think that would have drastically changed my opinion on this offensive uh, side of the ball class. Um, but still a, a great finish from the Trojans. I think it's really interesting what you point out that they close with, you know, three of their three top guys. Uh, Jackson Dart, you know, is their other top 100 guy. He, you know, committed to them on the early signing period. So their last four commits in this class all are the, the highest ranked guys. So closing strongly, which builds that momentum for the next class. Adding Damani Jackson also early in the 2022 class, that's going to add momentum. So I think they're moving in the right direction, definitely. I think a lot of that comes back to the staff that they hired in the offseason, uh, and they're continuing to add to their recruiting staff and the, the supplemental staff that are working behind the scenes. I, I think they're doing a lot of really good things on the recruiting trail right now. But bringing in this class and keeping Corey Foreman home is huge. Mm-hmm. You know, it, It's not just that you picked up, Corey Foreman, Rajon Davis, Sierra, right? These are all three local kids, and that's the guys that were leaving in the last couple classes that have really hamstrung USC because you're seeing the Bryce Youngs and DJ Ungleles at other schools. So I think that this is a big step forward for USC, bouncing back from the number 64 class in the in the previous year, getting back on track and being in the top 10 again, where they should should basically be every year. They should be top 10, top 15, depending maybe on numbers of, of commits that they're taking. But the number, the guys that they're taking should be highly rated guys. And you know, this year they went and got kept those big time players in Southern California home. Clay Helton was asked about Corey Foreman, and I, I thought it was interesting because he was asked, how much does that give you momentum for the next recruiting class? But he actually clarified, that gave us momentum for this class. He mentions here, right, and Rajon Davis, he alluded to the fact that signing Foreman helped with those guys. And I thought it was just interesting how much Foreman's strategy or what he wanted to do with his announcement actually helped USC because because he signed with the university in the early signing period, USC was able to do like this full like celebratory marketing thing when Foreman committed. And that just helps the brand in general because other top prospects can look at how they treated Foreman and get, kind of gave him the red carpet treatment. And then you're, you're it's like a double whammy. Not only are you flexing that you got Foreman, but you're showing, hey, we can do this for you if you come here. This is how we treat our top prospects. So I thought it was an interesting uh, duality there, how it helped USC. I thought it was interesting, you know, that they were able to do that because uh, they've had a couple players that have signed in December and then announced, you know, at one of the Army All American or the Under Armour All American game. Uh, you had Talano Hufunga, Brew McCoy, Kyle Ford, those type guys that have done similar type things. And by being able to do the branding, like you said, especially this year. When there's no game, there's yeah. nothing else really going on in that time period in January, you know, leading up to the national championship game. So kind of all eyes are kind of, oh, let's see where these guys are going. And then it's not only, hey, Corey Foreman's going to USC, but look at what USC is doing for Corey Foreman, which if, you know, similar to Sierra Wright, like they couldn't put out those videos and things until he signed yesterday. Uh, so I think that it worked out really well for them that they were able to build this up because, you know, if they did it in December when he signed, it gets kind of lost in the day where, you know, there's a lot of commitments and different things going on. It, it really helped them there. Just the fact that he's the number one player in the country too is really big because yeah. all eyes are on that. You know, it's on the bottom line ticker. It's on all that type of stuff uh, going through that day. So it helped them close because Corey Foreman, John Davis, you're right. They all know each other. They're all friends. You know, you want to play with those big time players, especially 
if you're looking at it and you're Corey Foreman, I mean, if you're Rajon Davis, you go, okay, well, if I come off the edge and Corey Foreman's beside me when I'm coming off the edge, well, I'm getting a one-on-one block. There's not going to be an extra tight end chip or anything because they got to focus on that guy. Uh, so if you're Sierra Wright, you say, okay, well, it, you know, if I have Rajon Davis as the underneath coverage and Corey Foreman, or if I'm, you know, if I have Corey Foreman rushing the passer, I'm not going to have to, you know, cover as long. So those are the type of things that you're thinking of as a player, uh, you know, when you're looking at the other people around you that you're going to be playing with, because they're going to make you look better because of their abilities. So I think you're really building a strong defense now. If you can continue to get some momentum on the offensive side, uh, that's going to be the big question for USC going into that 2022 class. That's just why local is so important because these guys are all friends; they all know each other. And if I'm a top prospect and like five of my my buddies are all committed to USC and they're all talking like, man, I can't wait to go to USC. We're going to room together. It's going to be so much fun. That makes me want to go to USC. That makes me want to join them and be with them. I watched uh, uh, Rajon's uh, Instagram story after uh, he had committed. This is probably like 30 minutes after. He was riding around town with his USC hat with his buddies, Kyron Ware Hudson and Damani Jackson in his car. <laughs> I can tell you right now it was one of the worst kept secrets that he was going to stay home. Those guys weren't going to let him leave. Uh, his friends weren't going to let him leave. And that's why recruiting and getting those guys on board so early to help with other local guys is so key. And I think we mentioned it with Damani last week and how big a guy like that is, how much sway he has over other recruits uh, in 2021 and then 2022 moving down the line. Not just that it's local because, you know, if you're in Iowa, it's important to keep the local kids. But you're in a hotbed. You have so much talent in Southern California and it goes back to, you know, walling off the Southern California area or California and being able to protect those those big name players because there's going to be so much talent every single year in California. And to me, that just feels like the USC of old where people wanted to come because of the momentum and kind of the hype. That was what the brand was, is you don't want to miss out. And for a while, it felt like, well, that's not cool. Like, I do want to miss out on that. And so I feel like getting that momentum back where you have guys signing and excited and getting other people in on it is something that USC lost and, and needed to regain. So it seems like they're on track to be like the place that people want to go. Um, and to your point about putting a fence around California, we talk all the time about taking back the West and the mantra that USC has. They signed nine of the top 20 prospects in the state of California in 2021, which is tied for the most in any single year dating back through the 2004 class. Which I think that was the directive is, hey, if there's an even guy and he's in Arizona versus there's an even guy and he's local, we got to go get that local guy. Because you've seen the players that have left, you've seen the Justin Flows, you've seen the CJ Strouds, the DJ, the Bryce Young, even Clark Phillips, Kendall Milton, like all these players in California that have left and gone elsewhere, last year in particular, you you wanted to really focus hyper local, and then all right, we got to get back to the base. It's basically like let's get back to the basics. Let's break everything down. Let's get back to hyper local, and let's you know five miles from the Coliseum, ten, fifteen, twenty. Let's get as much talent as we can here, and then we'll go from there. So now you're looking at those twenty twenty two offers that are going out. And you're seeing a lot of guys in the southeast. You're seeing, you know, all that. And they'll come back to the Southern California. They're going to have a ton of Southern California guys in in this 2022 class. But now you're hearing from, you know, some of those big name prospects that wouldn't be paying attention to USC at this time last year are now going to be paying attention. You're seeing them in, you know, the top list and stuff early for some of those, you know, national recruits because they are building that momentum. But it had to start 
hyper local and taking care of, of the guys around campus because of those relationships that they've already built, the connections and the guys that want to play together. Now you build out from that and you go towards being a national recruiting uh, power again. It's hard to pillage other states' top talent if all your top talent is being pillaged. Great point. Well, since we've talked about the class a lot in previous podcasts, let's go straight into grades. First off, on the offensive side of the ball, how did USC do in 2021? I love grading things. I just want to. I just want to throw that out there. <laughs> I like, don't. Like so. that muffin, C minus. <laughs> that pillow, I give it a B. Mm, interesting. He just does this when he's walking around his apartment. Apparently, that soup, yeah, that's a D. Let's get it out of here. That's a flunk. That's a flunk. <laughs> I bet. I bet Chris has a a very very long spreadsheet which is just graded things, and he just he you know he he sorts it by the grade. So he's like, you know what? I'm going back to Crest. It was an A minus. This is a B plus. I'm going back to Crest. I'm doing it. Both of you guys, A pluses. Oh, that's a lie. You're both B minuses. <laughs> I hate you. Hey, B still passing. But let's. That is true. Let's get into the offense. I'm gonna just throw my grade out there. I got a B minus. B minus. And what's really helping that grade for me is obviously those two blue chip quarterbacks. You mm-hmm. needed those guys. Those are two elite guys. You got the, probably the hottest quarterback prospect in the country to choose uh, USC. That's giving you the passing grade. Wasn't stoked. You needed a second running back. I'm not factoring factoring in transfers for this. Um, okay. You need. You probably wanted two running back signings. You got the one in the portal, but still USC recruiting. Uh, but the running back is still iffy. You missed out on some big local wide receivers, some guys on the West Coast that I think you needed at least to grab one of them. Um, obviously, you got more developmental offensive line talent in the three guys that you signed. Uh, I like the big tight end pickup. Obviously, Michael Trigg, another big guy you poached out of Florida. Um, but the QBs are carrying this one for me. I got a B minus. I gave him a C plus, and I thought it was, it was a very difficult grade because, like you said, you needed those quarterbacks. You needed to have two quarterbacks in this class because of the depth issues there. But you also needed running backs because of depth issues, and you only got one. Wide receiver, you didn't get the top-end talent. You, you know, you got three guys that I, I think are going to be really good and will fit well, but you didn't have the five-star guy there. And there were a couple on the West Coast that you could have got. Um, and then the offensive line it, is still an issue. You, know, you weren't able to get a blue-chip guy. You know, If you were able to get Kingsley Suamatia from, from Utah – He's a guy that might be a plug-and-play left tackle with the hole that you have there. Um, or he might be a guy that can start at a different spot and you can move someone else to left tackle, but he just is talented enough to, to be able to jump right to the college level. Whereas the other guys you got, you know, you got Mason Murphy, and he's the, num- the number one tackle in California. However, he's a developmental piece. He's only been playing for three years now, I think. So he's going to take a little bit of time before he's going to be ready to jump in there. So because you had holes in the offensive line, you needed to have a blue chip guy. And this is just another year in a row where they don't have, you know, they're they're not able to get their their top targets to come in. So offensive line is still a struggle. So I gave it a C plus. The the quarterbacks really pushed it up. And then also Michael Trigg, I think that guy's going to be special. You know, he has the yeah. the potential, and if they use him the right way, and that could be a question mark because the wide receivers they've been, you know, more about you know the offense will will create stuff for you rather than trying to create extra things for individuals. Uh, the offense as a whole will create openings for everyone to to be successful. So we'll see how they they proceed with him and how they use him. But I think he has a chance to be really good. That's too. Drake London level athletes on the field at the same time. Yeah. That's a problem. And you can see the problem Drake London already gives defenses. So good dual, luck. Dual sport athletes. I 
see, it's hard because I feel like C plus, that's what I had, but I feel like that's kind of harsh. But at the same time, the biggest detractor was offensive line. You don't have that star guy who can come in and fill the holes or make up for the mistakes of past classes, you know? So I think that's where it took the biggest hit for me because at the end of the day, you still have a giant problem there. You can have great quarterbacks, but if you don't have the proper protection for them, what are you doing, you know? And even if they had landed Uke, I don't think it would I still would be a B minus because even he's not he's a yeah. ni- he's a nice piece. He's really hot with the offers that he's gotten. He's got a lot of pa- power five offers, Oklahoma, Texas, Penn State, no, uh, Northwestern. All those guys wanted him, but he was still, you know, he wasn't a consensus four star recruit. He comes from a small Texas school, private school. Um, so he wasn't going to be a day one impact guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, I completely agree with that. Moving on the defensive side. I'm gonna I'm gonna start with well my defense I got an A for them. Now there's still potential for A plus. Uh, I, I talked about dual sport athletes and I want to bring up USC was also a finalist for a couple other guys. It wasn't really mentioned much, uh, but they were you know they had uh, hats on the table and stuff. Um, Keon Coleman, the wide receiver, ended up picking Michigan State, who's a dual sport athlete as well. But another dual sport guy was Taiwan Malone, who's one of my favorite prospects in this class because he is a, a big boy he's a defense tackle but he's also crushes baseballs and you know he ends up going to Ole Miss and and Ole Miss has actually become like the hot place to go if you're a baseball and football player because of, of how they've used guys the last couple of years but I thought he could be a big addition because I think they're still missing some meat in the middle of the line on the defensive side especially losing Marlon Tupelotu and Jay Tefele so I give him an A right now on the defensive side which can obviously bump up to A plus if they get that meet. And that player is number one overall prospect in the twenty four seven sports rankings, JT Tua Moloau. He's a defensive tackle. So if they add him, that gives you the beef in the middle of the line that you need as well, uh, to go along with Corey Foreman. So they could definitely bump up to an A plus. I think the the defensive group overall, a ton of talent at a ton of different positions. And Rajon Davis, like I said, it, Gives you a little bit of something that you didn't have in the other uh, recruits that you had, the other linebackers you have in the middle. Um, so I think that they did a really good job of having a well balanced defensive class, um, and they still could still could add one more piece. What do you got on the defensive grade? Chris? I have the exact same grade. I'm a little suspicious that you copied off my paper. What? Just, I would never. Just a little bit. Uh, but I had a grade of A uh, one because I sent it to Math Boy. <laughs> Colin Mobley. Yeah. PG County Beach Boys, hashtag it. PG County, uh, baby. But in all seriousness, Clay actually talked about this yesterday, but there's a lot of, so much versatility and athleticism with this group. So many guys have played multiple positions. Uh, Rajon Davis, obviously, you, you talked about his versatility. Sierra Wright, also a track guy. Uh, Prophet Brown was rec- uh, recruited as a running back to start things off, plays both sides. Kalen Bullock, same thing, played wide receiver and safety. Um, Jalen Smith, same thing, both sides of the ball. There's just so much uh, athleticism. Julian Simon, one of my favorite signees here, was recruited at running back and wide receiver for some schools. So you, you can't overlook just how how athletic this group is and all the, the versatility they will bring to this defense. This defense just got a huge speed upgrade, I think. So it's an A for me. And like you said, there's room for an A-plus moving forward. And, and even defensive tackle Jay Toya was a two-way guy as well. For small Grace school, Brethren. small school, so using both ways. So good. Yep. I think yep. he also, you know, carried the ball a couple times. I would not be surprised. You know, in the fullback role. I feel like Jay Toya has been committed since two thousand eight. Uh, that's that's not inaccurate. 
<laughs> not totally not accurate. Inaccurate. Since he was like seven or eight years old, but I think he's a, I think he's an underrated signee because everyone just kind of forgot he was part of this yeah. class just because he's been here so the long. Early guys always get forgotten. And he's a big. He was obviously unranked when he first committed. No one knew who he was, and then he slowly became a top two hundred player and then they held on to him after all these schools were trying to poach him away especially ucla was trying to make a late run at him with his former recruiter johnny nansen now over there so big to hold on to him for so so long and like i said you need to replace the defense tackles in the middle with with uh, marlon and, and jay both leaving for the nfl so getting him i think is big i don't know how quickly he's a guy that's available for you is you know that you can throw in there and be a part of the mix but I think they really needed to attack the defense tackles because it's not only Jay and, and Marlon leaving but you also Trevor Trout there's questions if he's going to be able to come back with the back injury that he had you also have Brandon Peely as a senior he's going to be gone next year so you need to start getting those pieces in to start replacing uh, at the defense tackle spot after you know those guys have been your consistent forces for a couple years now that's why it's so huge that he's an early enrollee He's going to be in here on, here on campus early. That doesn't guarantee playing time, but it more more often than not, we see that helping them get on the field uh, a lot sooner. Like Kobe Pepe, even though his uh, early enrollee experience was tarnished by uh, the pandemic, he still was able to get a couple snaps here and there. So hopefully, I, I, I have high hopes that Jay is going to be able to contribute. I don't. I think he'll be able to play a couple, see him get a couple reps here and there. So I think we'll see him on the field uh, this season. Uh, but I think he'll keep that red shirt, so... That was the big takeaway for me, including transfers. 14 guys are early enrollees, and that's huge for their development. That's something that players always talk about, of how much it just helps them, not only on the field, but just transitioning to college. Like You can get in classes and figure that out and not have a game every weekend. It's just a different thing for them to t- get that under their belt. So I think that was good for them, but Debbie Downer, Debbie Downer Shotgun over here had to respond to my tweet and say that if <laughs> if practice happens i was trying to be positive well we were hoping but you know got to see it happen but just it's it's like salamatulu al pupu you know sure. I, I don't want to buy into the hype until you know we get back out there and actually see it um so hoping that you know not only that there are spring practices and they get their full spring camp in but that we're able to cover it as well so we'll see how that goes um, but like you said, I think the biggest thing with early enrollees is getting used to the college life. Mm-hmm. You know, you go from high school where you can coast through pretty much any high school in America, if, you know, besides some of the elite schools, you can coast through it. But then when you, if you're a football player and you go to a major D1 school, everything is regimented for you. And a lot of kids, that's completely foreign to them. You know, you need to actually go to bed at a decent hour. You need to, you know, there, there's certain things that, that have to be done if you want to be an elite athlete. And I think that first semester you can adjust rather than in the middle of a season you're trying to make that adjustment. So I think it's huge in, in that factor, and I'm glad you pointed that out. Why, thank you, Shotgun. You guys already made my points for me, so I'm just going to add, like, the, the sprinkles on the Sunday, if you will. I also had an A. I think it's no small thing that this new defensive staff had to recruit with – the pandemic and then with half a season you know you 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 show your product in six games that's not an easy thing to do and I know Helton always said that they had like the phone and iPad taped to their head but you can tell that the effort is different especially from the defensive staff on recruiting and so you have to give them props for that because it wasn't like they were able to show what they can do in a regular season where everything's normal and you can have official visits it was a different challenge for them this year and they closed really strong so since we since we went first on over I mean on offense defense 
and gave gave all our takes. We don't want to steal anything from you, Keely. So yeah, what do you yeah. got overall? Yeah, we for we, your we humbly bow to you. <laughs> We're stepping away from the mics, we'll let you go. The new the new drop is we humbly bow to you, Keely. <laughs> Just put that in anywhere. Um This is hard because I'm very indecisive. Oh, we know. We're way away from the mics. Stay back away. away. We're letting her we're letting her go. I hate you guys. She has to learn. It's like throwing a kid a toddler in the pool. What am I learning exactly, Chris? To make a decision on the spot. Can I give like an eighty nine point five? All right. Does that count? Because it's like a B plus A minus. That's a B plus. Is it though? If you're rounding? I'll say 89.5 because the turnaround from last year obviously is huge and you have to give credit to the staff for how well they turn things around. And like I just said, this was not a normal year to do that. But like I said, with the offensive grades, you didn't get guys you really needed that will make a difference on the field on the offensive side of the ball. So, I mean, you can make up for that in the transfer portal, but we're not including that in grades. So that's why I go with 89.5. Take it away, gentlemen. Oh, we and here they, they scoop back. To the back. I hate you guys. <laughs> we got there. We got there. It took a second, but we got there. You forced me into it. I'm, 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 I'm bored with that grade of a B plus. I, a B plus. It, it, it is what it is for me. Are you grading my grade? No, no. He does like to grade things. But I could grade that grade. I think that's an A grade. Oh, thank you for your grade. And then my overall grade is B plus. Okay. Hey. I have B plus, but as I'm kind of thinking about it, I think it's an A minus. Okay, um, it, it's obviously right in that mix for USC. And if they get JT to add to the class, then it bumps them up, you know, to to an A minus from a B plus to an A minus or up to an A. Uh, it's not an A plus because you're not a top three class in the country. That's what an A plus grade is, and especially when Alabama has the best recruiting class since recruiting rankings have started uh, this year. Just an absurd amount of talent that they brought in. And it's not an A grade because you didn't win the Pac-12 recruiting title. And you lost it to Oregon. You lost out on some positions that you really need. Offensive line, obviously, the big one there. Um, so I think it's an A- minus because you're still in the top 10 nationally. And you yeah. addressed so many needs and upgraded the talent on the defensive side of the ball really well and addressed needs at the quarterback position. Um, there, it, It's obviously right in that mix because there are still some holes in, in it, but being a top ten class, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna say the top ten gets you in the A range. So because they're eight to ten, then that puts you in the A minus. Uh, I I don't know if you guys included this as a grade, but I had transfers. I got A plus so far as far as grades for that because you've addressed issues of need. Obviously, the running back position in particular, Xavion Alford, if he can come in and fill a similar fill the void of, of Talano Hufunga to an extent. Um, you know, and then Katie Nixon, uh, you need more depth on, on the wide receiver position. And like I talked about with, you know, there being, uh, you're losing those defensive tackles in the middle, Ishmael Softshire comes in. And all those are from Power Five conferences. They've all played a bunch, they've all proven themselves at the D1 level. So it's not like you're saying, uh, we think this guy can make that jump. It's not, you know, we think he has a lot of potential. It's these guys have already proven themselves and they can come in and help out immediately. Internet, they may not be done either. So, well, that's what I'm curious about because I feel like you would have given them an A, A plus if they can actually get a left tackle for them. That's a good right? point. There's there's a wrong way to portal and there's a right way to portal, and USC's portaling the right way. That's your thing this offseason. Portland 
everything Shotgun just said, I agree with. You basically got four starter level transfers, and that's what you wanted for, especially for a team like USC that's adding a bunch of young talent, you st- uh, a bunch of depth uh, across the board, but you still need some instant impact guys that you can plug and play for certain holes that you have. Keontae Ingram, Katie Nixon, both experienced guys and former and former starters, uh, Alford, Xavier Alford, and Ishmael Sopcher, guys that didn't get a lot of playing time at their respective schools at Texas and Alabama, but high-level recruits out of high school, and they're still young. So excellent pickups there. And again, like you said, might not be done. Well, speaking of additions from Texas, Ooh. well done. I, I, that wasn't for me. That was for you giving me a layup. <laughs> USC reports came out on Thursday, picked up an addition from Texas for its support staff. Brian Carrington, who's the director of recruiting for Texas, is on his way to Southern California. We put this in the war room. He was kind of on an unofficial visit of sorts last weekend. Which is kind of funny that coaches are taking unofficial visits. Um he was actually taking an official visit because they knew it was true, coming. True, true, It was, yeah. But prospects can't take official visits. Yeah, so he had a little wine and dine official visit with USC and its staff. Chris, you were putting updates throughout the weekend on the P. What was your read on that situation? Yeah, I think it was the end of January when kind of Gerard first threw out that he was in town. He was interviewing um, on this official visit, and then we were kind of up up. Uh, updating throughout the the weekend and I threw one up there how the visit went really well um, and it was looking like you know USC closed this one out Um, but he was still going to have to go back to Texas he was still going to have to sit down with Coach Sark they were still going to see if you know there was a counter offer there because he had kind of been in limbo since Herman had left he he came up under Herman at the University of of Houston Uh, that's where he got his start there uh, made his name and then followed him uh, to, to Texas when Herman got the job so there was a new regime in, didn't really know where he fit in. Um, but by all accounts, this guy is an excellent, excellent uh, relationship guy. Think, you know, kind of like Gavin Morris is, is for USC. He, these kids really develop relationships when they get him on campus. Um, he's one of the first guys that they meet when they were getting on campus at the University of uh, Texas. So in that sense, uh, really big pickup there for that for uh, recruiting sense. But he will be joining as a quality uh, control assistant on the offensive side, which is something I reported on too. That's the things I, that is what I was hearing that it was going to be sort of like moving into that coaching side of things, which has always been a career goal for him is to be an on, on the field coach. Um, so this helps him break out of that role as like a recruiting guy and more into like an overall coach. What just happened with all our grades? We all had defensive grades were really good. Dante Williams, offensive grades, not so much. Gavin Morris has been a guy that USC has relied on in their recruiting efforts uh, for several years now. And Brian Carrington is regarded in a similar vein as Gavin Morris, just like you talked about. But guys that were behind the scenes that have really impacted recruiting. Let's just bring up this story. Ed Oliver committed to and played at Houston. This is when Tom Herman was there. This is when Brian Carrington was there. Brian Carrington was a student assistant at the time according to a story that was on the 24-7 network. And when Ed Oliver went on a visit, the first guy he asked for was Brian Carrington. And they said, oh, he's in class. So while he was a student assistant, he's helping pulling in a five-star defensive tackle to an AAC school. 
to Houston. When is when does Houston get five star players? They don't. So that tells you the caliber of recruiter this guy is that he can be, you know, the lead guy basically on a five star player and bringing them keeping them away from Alabama, keeping them away from, you know, the big name schools in the southeast and getting them to come to Houston. Uh, I think that that shows you they're really attacking the recruiting on the offensive side and the fact he's going to be a quality control, that should really help them as they move forward on the offensive side trying to recruit, trying to get back in the game of getting those five-star talents on the offensive line as well. Um, and he's another it's a, another diverse hire as well. So I think that's a really big for a, a staff as Overall, I've said this you know several times on different shows that you need to have a well balanced staff and not just in hey one guy yells and one guy's quiet, but also you need a Polynesian guy, you need you need a black guy, you need you know a guy that really connects with the country boy, you, you know whatever it is, you need to be able to have a well versed staff that that really gets along and makes good relationships with everyone rather than just one specific type of player. And I think that this adds to that once again. And I think it's a really big pickup for them as they struggle in the offensive side, particularly with the big guys. If you wanted a sign that USC is starting to right the ship, if you will, this would be one of those. Because the sense I got from the USC side of things was, hey, we pitched him as well as we could, but we know what's going to happen. He's going to go back to Texas. Sark is going to not want to lose him, especially to us. Texas has the largest budget in college football, they're just going to throw money at him and he's just going to say yes. And, and that's what it is. And so the fact that he didn't take that money that was probably offered to him shows that he at least believes in what USC is doing and what he could do at USC. So for me, stealing a guy like that from Texas and bringing him to what USC is doing, I think is, is big and a, and a sign or litmus test that things are going, starting to go in the right direction for USC on that front. And the big thing about, we were talking a little bit about this before we started recording, but the big thing about recruiting in Texas is it helps so much to have a guy who's who's an insider there, who who has prior relationships with these these Texas high school coaches, because that's something they really value is like Texas guys recruiting Texas guys. I don't know what it is, but that's sort of like the brotherhood and fraternity they have out there. So that's why it's much easier if you have a Texas guy on the staff who, who played high school ball in Texas and maybe was born and raised in Texas. Go recruiting there, even if you're recruiting from out of state or wherever you're wherever you're recruiting for. That helps so much. And to have a guy like him, in addition to all these Texas coaches now, that's just huge. And just to, to point out some of the guys that he helped land for Texas, uh, that would be Bijan Robinson out of Arizona, the big one. I think uh, Trojan fans remember that name. <laughs> yeah. We have a famous uh, photo that are gotten by Shotgun here of Clay Helton and uh, Bijan on one of on his official visit, which has now become somewhat of a meme. <laughs> um, so history right there. Uh, Jake Smith, the four-star receiver out of Arizona. Caden Stearns, the five-star safety, became a uh, freshman All-American under Nivar, And then Joseph Asai, the four-star linebacker. Just the list goes on and on of guys he's, uh, he's helped. And I think one of the big things is he's very selfless when it comes to this kind of stuff. Uh, I found this other story from Burnt Orange Nation. Uh, they did a big feature on him. And when he first arrived to the University of Texas, he wrote this quote from Harry Truman that it's amazing what you can accomplish if you don't care who gets credit. And that's kind of the person he is. Um, so I think this is an excellent addition to the staff. And it's it's great to see that he's doing it. He's, he's coming to USC to also um, further his career and doing something new, becoming, you know, moving towards be, becoming a full-time coach. And when this guy becomes a full-time coach, I think he's going to be a problem. 
as a full-time recruiter. So watch out. To make a hard transition right now, but also kind of bridge it a little bit, USC last Friday announced who its next tight end coach was going to be, uh, who is Seth Dagey. He was a quality control guy. And since Carrington has aspirations of being a coach, I thought it was really interesting that in the press release, not that I guess Carrington would read it, but they wrote about how he's another USC quality control getting a position at, you know, it was just something where I just felt like they were writing that for a bigger audience. It just felt like they were trying to like kind of connect it. Maybe I'm reading into it. In the release, USC said, we're excited to promote Seth Dagey to be our tight ends coach and see yet another quality control analyst on our staff earn an assistant coaching opportunity. And I don't feel like USC's ever written something like that before. So to me, it felt a little bit like, wink, wink, wink. Oh, yeah. I, f- I can feel that. I didn't, I didn't read the press release, but um, seeing that, yeah, that definitely sounds like, hey, hey, Brian, Brian, check this out. Check this out. Yeah, on the day he arrives to start his official visit, exactly. it felt very uh, wink, wink, nod, nod to me. USC's playing chess. Everyone else is playing checkers. I don't know about that. But this move was a chess move, at least. Oh, it might have been on a checkers board, but it was a chess move. Overall, though, how do you feel about promoting Seth Dagey to tight ends coach? Not unexpected. You know, I think I mentioned that on last week that I wouldn't be surprised if that were to be the case. Uh, he does, unlike John David Baker, who did this same move last year, he does have coaching experience. He coached with Mike Jinks at Bowling Green, so I, I think it, it's not like you're getting a, a completely raw coach coming in. You know, is trying to figure out his way. He has done this before, so um, you know. Again, the the big question mark is the position itself, the tight ends, how they're going to be used. Are they going to get production out of that group? Can he help do that? Obviously, John David Baker. Part of the reason why he got hired away by Ole Miss was because of his recruiting chops. So Dave, he can come in. He can you know he could recruit perfectly well but is the position going to get better and is that going to happen under him I, I don't know you know we've had questions about the tight end position for multiple years now so I don't I don't put it on any of the coaches if he can turn it around then that's a big feather in the cap say hey look what happened with those tight ends before and look what I did with them so um, we'll see what happens there but wasn't really surprised by the move USC sh- uh, you know took it shot at you know Prentice Gill wasn't able to get him um, so instead, they went with the in-house option. Like Shotgun, I was not surprised by this hire. Um, made sense just to move someone up, kind of like we did with John David Baker uh, a year ago. Uh, I like that he has coaching experience, like you pointed out. And I think, and he's, and he's young, and he seems to be hungry. And I think he could be a, a good recruiter because as someone who stalks social media, Twitter, I noticed that Seth is usually always following these kids, these prospects that I'm also looking up. So I feel like he's one of the early guys that make contact for uh, the staff. So I think he's got some recruiting chops. So I'd like to see that now in full effect now that he's a full-time staffer again. Well, apparently he was the primary recruiter for both Miller Moss and Jackson Dart. So Yeah, I think that he played a part. And the fact that you see him get tagged in images and stuff when there's commitments and stuff like that, that tells you that he's playing a part in it. So I think, yeah, he can uh, be an impact on the recruiting side as well. Um, Again, it comes back to 
what can you do production on the on the field with that position. And the fact that he has experience in the air raid, having worked for Mike Jinks previously, I think that's a bonus as well. Just because, again, as we talked about with Clay McGuire last week, having the being able to speak the same language as, every, as the rest of the group on the staff. So yeah. I, I think that having that continuity is a positive for, for him and for the offense, uh, the offensive coach as a, as a whole. Alrighty, let's go into questions. First one is from Johnny Five, who says, "Who's the big fish left out there for the 2021 class?" Are these rapid fire? Yes. I okay. Well, that. we already touched on it, but the big fish is JT Tuimoloa. Yeah, you can edit that so it sounds like my voice, right? Of course. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> number one overall player in the 24/7 rankings, five-star defensive end, strong side defensive end. Uh, from Washington, USC is in the mix. One of one of his finalists wants to take visits. Not going to come in until April. So there. He also wants to know who will get drafted first, Keaton Slovis or JT Daniels. Well, that's a that's a really interesting that's question. A good one. That's a good take it or leave it. Who's this guy? <laughs> Might need to get him as a writer for my Johnny Five. Johnny at Johnny Five. Five at Johnny Five. Okay, I'll be DMing you, Johnny Five. Um, oh, this one's tough. They'll both probably be coming out next draft. See how it feels? You can teave it. Nope. I will never teave it. I have to be decisive. I'm going to say Keaton. Okay. I did it. I did it. It's Keaton. Then I'll take JT Daniels in this Okay. One. Okay. And again, I think that's how close this is, that you can go either way, and I don't think you can make a wrong choice as far as picking one of these two guys. Esoteric Simpleton asked, who wins? Alabama's team, coached by the USC coaching staff, or USC's team coached by the Alabama coaching staff. Let's say in a bowl game, meaning each staff would have 11 months with the other team's players. Alabama staff. I'm not betting against Nick Saban. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. Ever. Perfect rapid fire. With with 11 months of preparation too, because that's one of the things that Nick Saban does so well. He's great at those, those beginning of the season games. That's why I never gave USC a chance. Uh, when they were going to Dallas, and I wouldn't have given them a chance this year either, because Nick Saban is just—I don't—I think he's unbeaten in non-conference games. You know, when he, when he starts the season, and and they always play in those you know big games in uh, Dallas or Atlanta and type thing. So let's go to our fact checker in the booth. Oh, they're off for the day, so can't verify <laughs> that. And Saban would know best how to destroy his own team. He would know best to oh. destroy his Death Star. Actually, he know he knows. That's a great point. Actually, he knows he's gonna do a two week, two week game plan on his, on his on his left guard who has a gimpy knee. He's like, this is how you beat him. Attack! If only people could see the real gusto you're putting into that. It was a visual bit. I'll I'll declare it as one. Yeah, with the Drago intensity, that would be Nick Saban. Yeah. We had a question from. Joe Schmo fan, that's how he signed his tweet, isn't realistic to hope that Coach Orlando reprises Talanoa Hufunga's 2020 linebacker for a game success by deploying Rajon Davis in a similar defensive alignment. I, I think it would be realistic. I mean, even Greg Biggins on the College Football Podcast a couple weeks ago compared Rajon Davis's game and his versatility to Talanoa Hufunga specifically just because he has the ability to cover down the field like a cornerback. He's fast. He's a good pass rusher. Um, obviously great in coverage. So, And he loves to run and hit just like just like 
Talanoa. So I don't I don't think it's unrealistic to think that we could see some hybrid like stuff out of Rajon down the line. The thing I don't understand about this question is deploying him in a similar defensive alignment at linebacker. Yeah, he's going to line up at linebacker. So be nice to the question askers. Uh, be nice to Joe. Semantics are important, Schmel. guys. Welcome to the Family Feud Podcast, Joe Schmel. So yeah, I think he'll line up at linebacker. Can he make a similar impact as Talanoa Funga in a different, uh, in a variety of ways? That's what I think you're hoping for there, definitely. So yeah, it is realistic to hope for that. Steve wanted to know why do the Trojans have so much difficulty landing quality offensive and defensive line players? Anyone ever ask Clay Hilton that question? I mean, we've asked plenty of questions about their offensive line recruiting. Um, it's a big man class. It's not a sexy class, Shotgun. You wouldn't understand. It's a big man class. It's not a sexy class. <laughs> um, why do they have so much difficulty? That's a great question. They were really, really good at keeping the top guys home, but also being able to go into a different state. And, for example, this year, there were talented offensive linemen in Arizona. Did USC go and get any of those guys? No. Um, so that's where Oregon really made their bones this year. They went to Utah. They went to Arizona and got the top players there, where that's what USC had done so well in the past. When you look at a class like the was it 2017 class or 16 class, they had Marlon Tuipolotu, number one player in Oregon, Jay Tefele, number one defensive lineman in uh, Utah. You're going and getting the top players from these other states. That's what USC had done so well in the past. But it starts with, you know, they had to rebuild, like I said earlier, and you had to start hyper-local, and hyper-local is not good for offensive linemen. Uh, Southern California just doesn't produce offensive linemen anymore at the same rate. The guys are developmental guys. They're not immediate impact guys. You're not seeing even, you know, Matt Khalil and and Tyron Smith were, uh, you know, a little bit of developmental guys. They had to put on some weight and stuff uh, when they came in. So the offensive linemen – in Southern California in particular, but on the West Coast in general, our smaller guys just don't have the bulk and the mass that you see from those offensive linemen in the Southeast. So it's a little bit more difficult to recruit that position. you got to project a little bit more, which makes it a little bit, bit harder. Um, so you're just not seeing those five-star offensive linemen a lot of times on the West Coast. So it makes it a little bit more difficult there. But because you have struggled the last couple of years, you had to be more hyper fo- hyper local, I think, and that's why that they they struggled in the last class or two for them. Well, I think they've been trending up with defensive linemen. I mean, yeah, they signed Corey Foreman, he got Jay Toy. Those are the two top defensive linemen in the state of California, so that was a good start. And Vic Soto, as you know, as we've been tracking all these offers, he's been heavily offering in the South, in Florida, in Georgia, and Tennessee, these big linemen, defensive linemen out of the South. I mean, and he, he seems to be doing work. I mean, a guy like Michael Williams, a top 50 prospect out of Georgia, uh, is heavily considering USC. So I think this 2022 class is going to be a really good one for USC's defensive line efforts. Yeah, I, I think the defensive line, you're doing fine there. Mm-hmm. You know, you brought in some some big name guys, like I talked about with Tufele and Tupelotu, and they've, they've sprinkled in the Caleb Tremblays and Nick Figueroa from the junior college levels as well. So it hasn't been the defensive line that's been the issue. It's been the offense line, obviously. And it all goes back to, as I've said many times for anyone who listens to every episode, missing out on your top targets four years straight. I think it's five years now straight. So when you miss on your tar- top targets, even if they're not local guys, you're going to struggle um, in in recruiting a specific position. So, and Vic recruited the portal well. Got a big D D 
D-tackle transfer, so that counts. That's recruiting. I know it's a little bit off topic, but I'm, I'm interested to see Vic Soto. A lot of these offers are to the southeast. He's really spending the time and focus there. And I think you have to do that, get in the door early with, with how much that area is recruited, not only from southeast schools, but also you know Midwest and, and northern schools. So I, I think he's doing that. I think he'll eventually round back. And with California not playing right now, high school football, I think he'll eventually come back to local. So some people have asked on our board, like, why is he not record? Why is he recruiting all these kids in the southeast and not at all in the, in the um, Southern California? He's a he's a SoCal guy. He's from Oceanside, so I think he's going to round back to the local kids. So if you have any concerns there, I, I think it's a little too early to worry about that. But have you seen the defensive linemen in the south? Yeah, they're huge dudes, but you also have a concern when you go to the Southeast to recruit players is how is someone going to fit in when they come? You know, you go and get EJ Price. This is part of their offensive line. You, you know, they, you, they went and got EJ Price, and that was going to be a big-time player for him. It didn't work out, you know, just fit-wise for him, you know, off the field. So, you know, he was never able to, to make an impact on the field. And, you know, Chuma Adoga came across the country and, and produced, but maybe didn't produce it at the level that you thought he could – um, so, you know, sometimes there's a fit issue as well, bringing kids out of the South and not being around, you know, not having grandma's cooking around, you know, that gumbo, as Ishmael, uh, softer said that he'd be bringing to the, the cookout. He's going to bring some chicken gumbo. We had a question from Judy who says, do you think with some of the coaches USC offered turning us down, which I believe for the record, only one did in Prentice Gill and the Trojan quote unquote greats leaving to coach elsewhere for now, meaning Chris Claiborne. That they see the writing on the wall with a tenuous future for our current head coach. I get that younger guys go get experience elsewhere, but wonder how the stability of the program is viewed and or affecting the staff. Love the podcast and give you guys all five stars. Fighting on from South Bend, beat the Irish. I mean, anytime you take a job, I think you have to look at the stability. And I think that's one of the big questions that coaches look at when they're considering USC with Helton and the stability of him in position as the head coach. Um, but per- particularly with Chris Claiborne I know he desires to be an on-field coach so it made sense to make that jump you got the opportunity with someone you're familiar with and Antonio Pierce and those collection of guys over there so I think that was the right opportunity for him and he decided to take it it it, I think it was more so about that that's his goal he wants to be an on-field coach he wanted to do more than what he was doing at USC and that was the opportunity so he took it Yeah, if you won't even call this an exodus, but I don't view this similarly to the exodus of talent from Southern California and California in the past couple classes. I don't view it the same. Um, And I think Brian Carrington's uh, hiring shows that, that there is still um, some positive things at the USC program that people are seeing. So I think it's like you said, just Chris Claiborne wanting to be on on field and Prentice Gill maybe wanting to stay at the wide receiver position, have his own room versus being in a tight end spot. Alrighty, well, it's time to pass the torch over to you, Mr. Trevino. Time for Take It or Leave It. Thank you, thank you. We had a real, real corporate sponsor. We did. So it's obviously time for fake, real corporate sponsor for the corporate Take It or Leave It. This sounds real fake. I like. I would like to thank this week's sponsor, sponsor GameStop. Oh, boy. Uh, look. We're just as surprised as you and all of this. With our newfound stonk money, we decided to do what real companies do and advertise. It's the perfect time to get back into the GameStop train with EA NCAA football coming back soon. USC fans, be ready with GameStop for that release and fire and hire. (coughs) 
anyone you want. Take in your brand new PS5 and leave with $20 and a free GameCube game. GameStop. Barely better than a flea market. <laughs> I have bought a video game in a flea market before. I don't know if anybody else here has had that experience. Seems yeah. like a very shocking thing to do. Ninten- we have flea markets I, in Georgia, okay? Nintendo games. You get old Nintendo games. So, obviously, USC had their little USC Instagram Live show with DJ Malski. This is the second one, because obviously they did one for the early signing period. Um, I... I'm going to leave it on this, but not not, any, not, not that anyone cares because I'm just the host of this. Were you guys in on the second edition of the USC Instagram Live DJ Malski hosted pandemic special? So I actually am a take it okay. because Gavin was the one leading it. I thought he had a good flow with people. I only was able to catch a little bit of it, so maybe I'm completely off here and Shogun's going to do his thing that he does on Take It or Leave It. <laughs> but I'm going to take it. Uh, I'm going to take it as well. I thought it was definitely better with with the people that were leading it. It wasn't just Gavin. You know, it depended on the interviewee. Um, they had all they had the three primary guys that USC well, had, had committed or signed after the early signing period with Corey Foreman, Sierra Wright, and Rajon Davis. They also had the transfers. So we got to hear from Xavion Alford. We got to hear from Katie Nixon, Ishmael Softshire. Um, you know, didn't get to hear from Keontae Ingram. So, but you know, getting those guys on and hearing from them was good. And I thought that, you know, having Vic Soto talk to Ishmael Softshire, you know, having Gavin Morris talk to some of the guys, having Dante Williams on there to talk with Sierra Wright and Corey Foreman, two of the guys that he brought in. Um, I think you it was really interesting, actually, to see the dynamic between them. You can see the relationship that's already been built. So it gives you a little bit of an insight into what uh, the reasons why those players committed and the relationships USC's coaches and staff have built with them. So I thought it was really interesting, actually. And it was much better than the, the previous one. Um, I think DJ Molsky does a really good job as far as you know all the stuff he does. He, he works for the Rams. He works for – I randomly one day – Saw him at a USC basketball game last year, and then I went to go cover a baseball game, and he was down at Cal State Fullerton doing women's basketball down there. So he works really hard, but because of that, I don't think he has the connections, even though he's you know primarily at USC. I think it with some of the players and the recruiting and stuff. So he was asking; it was very repetitive the first time, and it wasn't really in depth questions. Whereas now you saw a little bit more, and you could see you see the personality, but you could also ask a little bit deeper question too about you know the different things about some of the out of state players and how you know what they really liked about LA, what they're excited to see when they got out of quarantine after their you know their couple of weeks where they had a quarantine uh, coming in from out out of town so i thought it was really interesting actually to see some of the stuff so i'm gonna take it you know there's still things that they could improve on uh you know there were technical issues and stuff just with people talking over each other and not being able to hear really well but i think it was that's hard to organize though yeah very true but i think it, it took a big step forward from the first time and i think that it will only continue to get better moving on because that was just one. <laughs> oh yeah right sorry we're, i had some thoughts on that one we're in take it or leave it i forgot about that uh the are you taking or leaving the little USC UCLA graphic design Twitter beef? <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, USC's new director of recruiting strategy, Marshall Charrington, Sherrington? Sherrington, uh tweeted out a screenshot of USC's graphic design made by Alex Verdugo, their director of graphic design of uh, Jackson Dart's Player of the Year 
Max Preps player, Max Preps player of the year announcement, and then Johnny Nansen's tweet of about one of their defensive linemen being one of the highest graded uh, uh, defensive linemen during the Reese's Bowl. They look very similar in style. And the comment said, when you want to be like big bros so bad, check the timestamp. Alex Verdugo remains the true OG and GOAT. Hashtag certified. Um, Threw this on on the P with spicy. People seem to like it. What are your takes on this? This Is a real beef? This is just Twitter Twitter talking? What is this? Hold on. I have to give just like a behind the curtain. The podcast lifestyle doesn't stop once we hit stop recording there is always something that happens in our group chats that chris will go oh that's a take or leave it oh <laughs> nope so chris threw this on our group chat and shotgun had a weird take about it i sent this to you guys oh did you yeah i didn't oh, oh sorry <laughs> i sent it to you guys to get your thoughts on it okay here's what i don't understand you didn't understand it and yet you're willing to like take on full corporations if they use your photos so like <laughs> come on you should understand this. After your guy's reaction, I became a take it. You know, that's why I threw it out there. I changed my opinion on it. At first, I was like, this is silly. Um, this is, you know, you're just building something up that is completely unnecessary. But then after you guys, and I like it because it's rivalry. I think it's good for Marshall, who's a USC alum, to jump back into the rivalry. He's been up in the Bay Area. Let him jump back in feet first. And the funny part is... Johnny Nansen. Yes, that Johnny Nansen was obviously on the staff when Marshall was here, when he was a student, uh, student a manager, student manager um, and then in the support staff role that he took. So it's interesting. And I was, I was kind of wondering, I was like, is, is there a beef between them? Is this, is this kind of Prentice Gill versus Gavin Morris, where you know on the surface it looks like there's beef, but really it's just you know they have a relationship and everything. So I didn't really know there, so I was kind of kind of curious about it. But I'm taking it because it's rivalry, and because you know jump back into the rivalry if you if you're a USC alum and you come back to your school. Maybe he chose J- Johnny's tweet because it was like I can take a stab and not like have a full retaliation. Mm-hmm, maybe you know? I don't know, but I'm taking it. My question is, if you look at them. They are so similar. They are very similar. So my question is, did whoever made the UCLA graphic think that no one was going to notice? It's not like it's not like it was an Iowa graphic designer or a Tulane <laughs> where maybe it could have slipped under the rug, but it's literally UCLA. So like I don't I don't understand what was going on there with that thought process. And, and maybe a little bit of it when I first saw it uh, and sent it to you guys is it kind of looks like a preset. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't know graphic See, design, so like, I don't know what it exactly. So, like, I'm like, oh, this is the old gradient that you used uh, on a PowerPoint presentation. Like, that anyone could kind of do this, which I don't think that's necessarily the case. No, it's definitely not. I'm I'm jumping in here because my mom is a graphic designer. This is like someone created. I mean, all of USC's like brand is that ombre, yellow to red. It's nice. That it's nice. The font, the taking out, the photoshopping the player in its element thing. So it's a whole concept, and they just like copied and pasted the the concept, but then put blue on it. You know, it's just like that's why I was such a fierce defender because this was a whole creative idea that was copied and not just a, like a hey, I went into so we PowerPoint. Have, we have new information. You're saying this is a unique thing for a graphic designer to create. It's not like a template. You're saying it was this ripped. is what I'm assuming. Okay, because there's not just like a. a Call up your mom. Let's get her on. Okay. <laughs> we need we need expert witnesses. Okay. Expert. To break down, you know, like do a trials. Sure. I'm taking it. 
Okay. And I take it there. Yep. Evan Mobley, Pac-12 Player of the Year. I'm leaving it, even though he's going to be the top Pac-12 player in the draft. He doesn't have the same numbers as a guy like Oscar Da Silva, even though he just put up better numbers than Da Silva uh, in the game on Tuesday when USC got a big win at Stanford. But I'm leaving it. I was just, I'm going to say take it just for oh, the sake of it, okay, just being okay. opposite of Chate. And very quickly, where is he on the list? If like De Silva's one, is he like five? Is he like three? Is he like he's like three eight? or four right okay. now? Okay, you got Chris Duarte from Oregon, you got McKinley Wright from Colorado, and again, I think standings are going to play a big part in in the voting of this too. Okay, okay. Moving on to our last USC corporate sponsored one. Now that uh, BC is on board, Brian Carrington, that's obviously going to help USC's Texas recruiting a little bit more uh they've already been trying to build that pipeline the last couple of cycles but haven't really landed you know those blue chippers yet uh 2022 usc will sign two top 247 players out of texas and this is this hasn't happened since does anyone want to guess the year I will give you a hint because Aka Cedric Ware wasn't a top two four seven. So I will give you a hint: the top two four seven did not exist at this time, but within the top two hundred forty seven players in the country is what I'm using. Um, any guesses? I don't know. Okay, Carroll error. Two thousand four. Ooh, very good guess. It it has not happened since two thousand and six. Props if you get these two. He's he's typing. I'm saying for the record. Take it, or, take it, or, take it or leave it. No one likes a snitch, Keely. <laughs> no one likes a pretend. No, no you're right. You're right. I'm on your side. Hey, what I'm are you not doing? Looking it up. What are you I'm doing? Checking on one player to see where he's from. Mm-hmm. The take it That's or leave it cheating. is USC will sign two Texas players in the top two four seven. So two four star consensus four star players um, in this cycle. I have no clue on that. I don't yeah. know where players are from before I got to USC in grad school, so I still don't have that connection. Once you make head. it, I will let you know who those players are. Oh, I'm taking it for sure. Oh, okay. Taking it. Oh, explain. I, I haven't even looked at the list. I'm trying to pull up the list now of Texas players, but I just think that they've got momentum, for one, and all the connections that they have from Texas right now. You know, it, it goes all the way to Clay Helton. Remember, he went to high school in Texas, so he has connections there. Graham Harrell, John David Baker is gone now, but you you add in Seth Doge. Now he can get on the road and be a recruiter. You, you got the, He's also from Texas. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Oh. You got the defensive staff. You got Todd Orlando and Craig Nivar, who came from Texas. So. And I think it's worth mentioning, Clay Hilton gave an extra shout-out to Nivar. Apparently he's making a, a move behind the scenes as well, not just Dante. Oh, yeah. Nivar is a guy that we've heard a lot about. The recruits really love him. I mean, yeah. remember the opening um, introduction that we got to the assistant coaches? Dante Williams saying, you know, I'm usually the guy with the most energy in the room, and Craig Nivar is way ab- above me. You know, So he's definitely bringing it there. And the safeties they brought in, they brought in a great class of DBs as, as in total, but the safeties – uh, in particular. So I think Craig Navarro is doing a, a really good job. We probably should be talking about him a little bit more. But Dante Williams, obviously, when you get the title bump and you know to associate head coach, then that's gonna you know everyone's gonna notice that one in particular. Yeah, buy Navarro stock now, <laughs> because hopefully, eventually these these guys, these Texas coaches, are gonna be able to go on the road back again, hopefully, and then get kids on campus. I think that's gonna be the key. Obviously, getting these kids on campus for visits. 
Hopefully that happens in this cycle. And then obviously going on the road, getting face-to-face meetings, getting into these high schools with these coaches and, you know, showing them, we know, we're Texas guys. So you're taking it? Taking it. Shoddy okay. convinced me. There's, there's 35 prospects currently in Texas that are in the top 247 okay. by the composite rankings. So, yeah, I think USC can get two out of 35 there. I mean, one of them, Jalen Early, you know, uh, offensive tackle from Duncanville, you know, had USC in his top 11, 10, 10 yesterday. So, you know, that's a, you know, they're already starting. They're getting some of those guys, and that's, that's an offensive lineman. USC's had their offensive line coach hired for – you know, a few days now, and you had in him, you had in Jinx, you know, more those connections from Texas. There's plenty of connections on the staff, and, you know, adding Carrington, having that personality on the offensive side, I think is going to really be there too. So I think, yeah, they'll, they'll definitely do it, especially the fact that we've seen how much they've emphasized going into Texas to try to get players. I think that tells you that they're going to try to do it, and I think now they have all the resources they, they need to be able to pull off that and the momentum. Those two players that USC signed out of Texas in 2006, Emmanuel Moody and Michael Morgan. I do know Michael Morgan. Moody was gone by the time I got to, to USC for grad school, off to Florida. They were ranked number 57 and number 53, so not insignificant Texas signees. The and more you know. The more you know. All about history here. Isn't that the ridiculous USC um, running back recruiting class? I believe, yes. I believe Stefan Johnson was in that class. That class had Alan Bradford, who was number 17 in the nation by 24-7 composite. It had C.J. Gable, number 26. It had Emmanuel Moody, number 53. Uh, that, and then you had Stefan Johnson, who was number 10. So Ridiculous. Four, four, four running backs we'll, in the top 53. USC can't get two in a class nowadays. We'll never. Oh, my goodness. What a <laughs> shot. Take a shot. It's true. It's true. It's true. Even when you're saying something good, you got to smack around. We will never see a running back class like that ever again. That's probably true, unless Nick Saban does it. And that wraps up corporate. Take it or leave it. Let's run into these uh, fun ones very quickly. Super Bowl this Sunday. Tampa Bay. uh, Kansas City. Take one. Who are you taking? Kansas City. Yeah. Even Both. though Ronald jo- Jones is on Tampa Bay. so And shouts to Tampa Bay for their diversity on their staff. Also, Dylan McCullough for the Kansas, Kansas City Chiefs. So. Yeah. But Todd McNair. Are we taking or leaving people pranking the Hollywood sign? I don't know if you saw this week, but people got arrested for trying to change it to Holly Boob. Mm. I did see that. And it happens. People every couple of months it seems like someone tries to do something to the sign are we in or out on these little stunts i don't know if it's every couple months <laughs> i mean obviously the the most famous one isn't the hollyweed in the yeah it was on january was, 1st it was like the start of the a 70s year. or something what wasn't that like the 70s no it happened like recently too is your brain okay <laughs> i feel like this has happened a lot were in you the alive in the 70s <laughs> no i, I didn't say it, but i've seen you know i i'm you know, what you would call someone who looks at history every once in a while? Looks at history. <laughs> yeah, that's probably not the best way. Looks at to history. Be... There's a merch idea. So I live in the vicinity of okay, okay. that. It bothers me how it's not lit up at night. Yes, the... Hollyweed in 1976. It also thank happened you. this year. Uh, thank you. It also happened. Not this year. Uh, thank you. It also happened uh, recently. Yeah, a copycat. Every couple of months, fellas. 
I don't know why I said fellas. Oh, fella. It didn't happen this year. No, I, I don't know why I said this year. <laughs> <laughs> it's not this year. It's t- it, it happened like three years ago. 2017. I was close. Are you taking or leaving it? Pranking the Hollywood sign? Yeah, doing stuff to the Hollywood sign. I'm going to leave it. I don't care. I forget that it's there. Like, I will literally, like, drive past and there's people on random streets taking photos. And I'm like, what are they doing? Why are oh. they taking photos? And I'm like, oh, the sign's back there. It's that, just, it's not a thing. Honestly, that happens every time I walk out of my apartment. It's crazy. Damn. It was stalking <laughs> issue, Sharon? Paparazzi. Yeah, I, I'm leaving it because I don't like the defacement of natural... You're gonna monument. say you're gonna say monument. It's not a monument. Historic monument. I don't it know. It's not a national you, monument. I know it's not a national one, but <laughs> you were about to national say national landmark. There we go. Hey. That, landmark. That's better. Do you know what the sign was originally? I thought I thought you look at history. I've I've read this before, <laughs> but it's not sticking with me because it, it was for a um, sub like not subdivision, it's but like a, a development. Development. Yeah. yeah. So what was it? Hollywood Land. That's a girl that looks at history. Yeah. <laughs> uh, moving on. I didn't want to call myself a historian or a history buff. We're <laughs> not moving on. But even then, you like kind of you you like winked and nodded at it. I was trying it was worse. I know, <laughs> but I, I should just a bit. <laughs> just went with being, you know, c- completely arrogant. <laughs> I like that he admitted it. <laughs> it's my, it, we it's broke your him. Brand. It, it works best for me, so I might as well just stick with it. True. I consider my I am a history buff. Let's be honest. I like history. He likes looking at history, folks. Uh, moving on to... I was watching American <laughs> History... Never mind, I'm not moving American on. History Channel last night. About looking D-Day. at history. Looking at history. <laughs> D-Day and stuff like that. He was night. literally looking at history. At four in the morning. Oh, my gosh. Moving on for the third time. It was National Signing Day, which means the old hat game. Austin Uke had a bucket hat for USC, which I thought was pretty funny. Where are we on consistency with your hats do they all have to be the same i'm gonna leave it you okay. don't need to be consistent keely go ahead and give your answer and i need to come back to me though i'm taking that all the hats need to be you the want same. consistency i want consistency and i also don't like bucket hats okay so it's a twofold thing i feel like if you looked at the usc bucket hat that he had it kind of looked like he had kind of like bought it it looked like a flea market hat. Like, it looked he, like he went to a flea market and he was looking at a hat bin and he was like, oh, I got this bucket hat. Okay, he kind of just was like, oh, right, right. And then like put it down. <laughs> right. You know, so the, you, because you quote tweeted and you're like, I don't know if this is a really good sign or a really bad sign. And I, w- I thought it was not a good sign. What's interesting is because all his offers were so late, it's just like maybe he didn't have hats around. You know, he probably has a really crisp, nice Holy Cross hat, I bet. You can Amazon hats. like I, Yeah, True. You can, but when you say it's a look like a flea market hat, I feel like that's what it was. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm finally done in my finalist. Oh, we got to go grab some hats if we're going to do this national signing day. It seemed like a last minute thing. No, no. It seemed like he'd had it the whole time, but like, I'm not getting a crisp one because I'm going to put this on my head. Well, we had heard that USC was at one point perhaps the leader. Maybe that was the, the hat he wanted to do it with, the bucket hat. Mm. And then it just evolved into okay, this is the only hat I have because I didn't plan ahead. I didn't get a normal hat, so it's time for the bucket to be on this this table. This has been Hat Analysis with Keely, Shockin, and Chris. But take it or leave it, hat science. I'm taking... Picking, for commitments. I'm taking hat science. Hat science is a real thing. I think it is, too. Greg Biggins broke it down perfectly with the Stanford hat that it looked more worn. But I didn't think it looked worn. 
You're going against, to are you going this. are you going against Greg Biggins? No, no. I bow down to Greg Biggins, but I we don't have know. Two Bowie references now in the podcast. <laughs> no. Bow to your sensei. Bow to your sensei. Hey! <gasps> I got a movie reference. Nope. Don't know it. Oh Napoleon my Dynamite? Nope. Never seen it. Oh. Everyone mark down this date. This episode, Keely Orr had a movie reference that she said on the podcast that Shotgun didn't even know about. I, I mentioned it with our fake corporate sponsor, uh, EA College Football, coming back. I feel like we're all in on it, so this isn't what that is, but does anyone have... Did you play it? You played it. Mm-hmm. Thank you for pointing on podcast. So I feel like the dumb kid because I couldn't get like the pr- premiere video games <laughs> so i played arena football <laughs> like a really janky version are you sure you haven't bought games from a flea market <laughs> <laughs> i mean i don't know but like because those games were expensive arena football i know it was really lame and the graphics were kind of lame what was the nfl I, I was like one? literally by mm-hmm. myself just like ding, ding, ding. yeah yeah I, I tried guys <laughs> interestingly i was a madden guy growing up but then when I got to college, I switched to NCAA and was all in on NCAA and stopped playing Madden. I don't know if anyone else has a similar story to that out there, but I just thought it was kind of interesting because everyone at my college played NCAA, so I was like, well, i got to get in this community. And then I started hosting an NCAA uh, tournament, campus-wide NCAA tournament uh, every year. I was also kind of young, too, so it's like a weird crossover of all that. So I'm excited when it comes back in nine years, too. You know, really immerse myself. Nine years. Did you? So you're saying you've never played it? Um, I don't think I have. Mm. Maybe like at a friend's house, but nothing where I'm like, oh yeah, I totally remember great memories. And who would you play with? I would always take a terrible team in a good location and then turn them into a power. So like in college, we did a on you know my buddies and I we did a everyone got a team in the Big East. And we did a dynasty. Oh, that's fun. Which takes forever when everyone has to recruit. I'm like, dude, you got to come get your recruiting in. Let's go. I got to test. I don't care. Come do your recruiting now that, so we can advance the week. <laughs> we should do that with the P when it comes out. That'd be interesting. It's much different now because you can do everything online. Uh, we were kind of in the cusp of sure. not everyone being online. Uh, but it, So I, w- I took South Florida. Or oh. no, I, I, yeah, I think I took South Florida in that uh, and you know was able to win the conference and you know, because I wanted the fertile recruiting ground. So I would always take like Florida International, whichever was one of the top, like worst five teams that was in the best location. That's the team I would take and then try to build a dynasty. And when have you, when you did player, what would you do? Oh, build the player? I was, I just was a wide receiver and that's what I played. I was going to guess you seem like a wide receiver man. We threw the ball a lot. Graham Harrell would love my offense. Can I just say that like hour of Twitter was incredible. Like, sports Twitter was so happy. Like, everyone was so united. The takes were funny. It was incredible. There's so much joy from that game. Because it's so rare that there's an issue or topic or news. That's what I'm saying. That everyone is behind. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. It was incredible. It was just like everyone was just so happy. Except for the news that it's going to be. Bear with us as the next couple of years of development. You're like, what? A couple of years? I really want to know. The behind the scenes of being like, oh, shoot, guys, they're too excited. We overshot it. We got to put a tweet out. We got to put a tweet out. You know? Because like, that clearly was like an oh, shoot tweet. Or maybe EA goes, wow, we got to put some more people on this. I have two additions for this next four, the forthcoming 
college football. So you're taking or leaving my suggestions to be added to this game. Okay. Okay. Taking or leaving the suggestions to yeah. add to NCAA football. For this, it, this should be added into the next version that's coming out. Gotcha. Road to glory, but as a bag man. <laughs> Leave it because you're not, you're not be able to play any games then. But I'm a bag man. You just sim the entire season? This, the, the seasons go by. It's all a about bag the does more in the season than you what you know about. <laughs> My favorite tweet was, let me drop some bags, EA Sports. So help me, I'll get the SMU death penalty at every school in the game if I have to. And then, yeah. And then it has like the, 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 the bar if like the NCAA is too hot on you. You got you to lay <laughs> oh, low. Oh, it's like Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, but it's like you're a bag <laughs> man. You're going to high schools. You're, you're thinking of creative ways to get the money. Come on. And if your player wins the Heisman, you win the game. <laughs> you work your way up as like a low-level staffer at, I don't know, West Indiana. Work your way up to Alabama. Clemson. So you're saying there's bag men at I'm, I just Clemson? was throwing two schools out there I know oh, nothing okay. about. For legal reasons, I'm leaving this. I'm already said I'm leaving. Oh, he did. He did say sorry. Okay. The other one. This is not my idea. I have to give credit to my boy, Coach Agno at San Aquinas, if you know, you know, who suggested that all the in-game rankings are 24-7 sports branded. Yeah, I'm taking that for sure. I think the last iteration of it, the recruiting rankings were branded by some company. I don't remember if it was 24-7 or ESPN. I don't know, but I think it was branded. And in Madden, there uh, not maybe not in Madden, but in certain sports video games, there are branding things like that for ratings and whatnot. So yeah, twenty four seven gotta get on that. Why would I leave that? You hate the company. Well, I'm taking it. Okay, it's <laughs> the easy one, Chris. Okay, and this last one is who has a better chance to be on the cover of a NCAA? Corey Foreman or Bruce McCoy? You go first. For some reason, my first reaction when you said that was Brew McCoy. I'm going Corey Foreman just because he's younger and because yeah. the game's not going to come out for more. So oh. realistically, mm. he's got a better chance. He is, he, yep, that one. But rarely are there defensive players on the cover. So one suggestion I would have is that they include, if you're doing the full dynasty and you're doing recruiting, that after the first year or after the, the current players, because they're going to have the actual players on there, you know, once those players leave and it's all created players, that there's suspensions or like academic casualties. That's one of the things I think those are realistic changes that you can do um, and aren't going to get that the NCAA is not going to be like, that's not ever happened here. You know, there's no bag men like those aren't going to actually come in the game, but you could do suspensions and stuff. I think it would just be an interesting wrinkle. That was one of the things that I've always kind of wished that they would have is, you know, some some different things where you may lose a player um, besides an injury. You know, you may lose them as an academic casualty or something. Maybe got to make sure your players study hall. Like make them go to study hall. And there's some different things like that could be factored into that when you're recruiting players and whatnot. I think it would just be an extra added wrinkle that they could have. So you're saying NCAA is going to shoot down Road to Glory Bagman? I have a feeling they're not, they're not even going to like think about it. Jim, I don't think it's happening. Am I allowed to read tweet editions that I thought were good? Yeah. Tennessee coach firing mode. Where you have to fire your coach every three seasons, regardless of buyout cost to the school. Like that one. Will there be a mode where you can send a plane that says fire coach? Oh, 
fire blank coach. Maybe. Ping like a dog in the end zone. <laughs> that could be on the cover. <laughs> that was my favorite thread. The worst college football image to go on the cover. There were so many good ones. And then Pac-12 refs that are particularly bad for the true authentic experience. Take it. Take it. And that, and that wraps up this, uh, this edition of Take It or Leave It. That was a great edition, Chris. Felt sarcastic. Oh, that was, it was a great one. Still not getting your full-time status, but hey, it was great. Bet You're working I, your way up there, though. But if I had a bag bin, that would be changed. <laughs> if a different podcast if had you, a bag if you, bin. If you yeah. randomly found a, uh, a Slurpee cup in your cup holder in your car with 50 Gs, I bet I'd be an official member. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> Where's my McDonald's bag, Chris? I was going to make a gluten joke, but I got nothing. So to wrap up this pod very quickly... Chris quote tweeted Shotgun's question tweet and said, someone throw me and weird question. I'm a weird boy. I like weird questions. You also had a typo. That's what I was making fun of you for. Yeah, yeah. come on. Okay. If I did, I did. <laughs> Grammar. We had a question from Samuel who said, if you could be the best in the world at one thing, what would it be? This is a great question. I thought about it from a money standpoint, cause like, but then I realized if you're the best at anything, you're going to be making money. So I would do director or hitman. Oh, that took a turn. I want to be John Wick, but Mexican. Research scientist. I want to, you know, find some cure or something. The best in the world. Nerd. Sorry for trying to help people, Keely. Well, that just makes mine. I'm going to sound so selfish. Mine was to be the best at killing people. I think you're okay. <laughs> okay that's, that's true. I would say movie composer. Okay. Because it's so hard to know so many instruments to be able to compose those type of soundtracks. Or uh, there's a certain word for it that I'm forgetting right now. But I would want to do that because I think it's really cool. But I could never actually do that. You want to be Hans Zimmer? I, yeah, basically, yeah, that's okay. exactly what I want to do. Okay. I was thinking John Williams. No, I, I love Hans Zimmer. I've been to a Hans Zimmer concert. That's how much I love Hans Zimmer. He's got a master class. I know. Also, can I give a shout out to two people? One, Samuel, who just asked the question. And Bay Trojan 03. Because both of them are very, like, tweet tweety when we put out a podcast they're very interactive is what i should say so thank you for that it's made sound negative they're very tweety no 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 it's a good thing so shouts to you guys uh, ag bay trojan 03 said who would shotgun play in the movie the replacements chris obviously this is for you like what position or like is he taking over a specific character i i think he's gonna be like in my mind he's the backup wide receiver that makes everyone joke crack up I see that. I feel like that was what you did. What, in real life? Yeah. I was a starting wide receiver, thank you, <laughs> for a team that never threw the football. But if I'm replacing it with someone already in the movie instead of adding him, I'm going to make him uh, the kicker, who is who is, has an accent and is foreign, so that's part of the appeal. But he has to have a real southern accent when he does the part <laughs> to keep that that theme going. But mm. I think he could be. I think he could play the kicker that's in over his head with debts. They're gonna like take. It. They're gonna take my pub shin. <laughs> they're gonna take my drive-through daiquiri in right. New Orleans. They're gonna take my Zaxby's shin. <laughs> Not the Zaxby's. It'd be a you know add a little touch of the water boy into the placements. I like that idea. Therese says, out of all the recruits that have been sons of famous rappers, which one has had the most success on the field? Well, Elijah Griffin's the first one that comes to mind. I don't. Snoop Dogg's son never made it. To the field, really? There's also, because it's generational, it, you know, rappers didn't come to prevalence until 
kind of recently, so there's not mm. a ton of ton of them out there. Now, if you said musician, that would change it completely, and would I would have to do a lot of research on it. But because there's been a couple of famous people uh, that are sons of musicians, and the case is still out on Rick Ross's son, who just picked up some offers, his first couple offers on, out of Florida. He's a 2024 offensive lineman. So Rick Ross, the boss. If you would have asked me what position he played, <laughs> offensive line would have probably came up. Also, I would have guessed offensive lineman or skill player. No, I would have went off <laughs> for sure. Okay, okay. Um, P Diddy's son, you know, didn't didn't do well. It was most notable for the run in his father had with the strength coach in the weight room at UCLA. TBT to that. Our buddy Scott sent us a tweet that said, "Will the Cars for Kids TV ads ever be pulled?" Scott Rodriguez, the unofficial grill master of USC football and the father of Jason Rodriguez, USC offensive lineman. It will not. I was recently asked the question, what is something you do not give a F about? And Cars for Kids commercials were on my list. Fun fact, they don't actually give cars to kids. One of the worst commercials ever. I literally sprint. If I'm like in the kitchen or something, I sprint to the remote to hit the mute Because it button. will be stuck in your head. No, I just hate it so much. Oh, yeah. Me They're me. not even playing well. Like faking it well. Well, it comes on the radio, too. I'm just like turn immediately. If you have... Cars for kids. One oh, my God. It's so kids. bad. And the final question comes from yours truly. Whoa. Speaking of commercials... What? What? Why is that a commercial? Cars for Kids is a commercial. Why is my question a commercial? You said, what the are Peloton's your thoughts on commer- Peloton commercials? commercials. Oh, my, oh God. my God, lady. <laughs> yes, that is great. Thank you for that, Shotgun. I, I tweeted, what are your thoughts on Peloton commercials? I got eight favorites, and only one of those favorites knows the true reason why I asked that. Uh as you alluded to, sometimes things go on off the podcast. This was just a random thought I threw to you. I don't know what we were talking about. It might have been on last no, no, no. signing day. It was out of the blue on a Tuesday. Okay. And Chris texts me, why are Peloton models so attractive? I believe the term was beautiful. Oh, sorry. But if you just watch, there's been a lot of Peloton commercials on. And I've just noticed that all the trainers are beautiful. They're so motivational. I just want them to yell at me to do this stuff. Like, you got this. You can't break us. And they're always glistening and they're like sweating and they're ripped and they're toned. And I just I just needed to say that. And I'm referring Poor to both difference. both sexes. Okay. Beautiful. That's all. That's all my point was. Yeah, I had a lot of questions. I was like, do you have a Peloton? He was like, no. I was like, who are you referring to? He sent me a German ad. It was like there's a lot going I on. I couldn't find the actual ad I was I saw that elicited that text to you. It's not on the interwebs. Oh, okay. Well, I just think it's funny because everyone thinks I'm talking about the Peloton ad, but I'm just roasting I'm him publicly. About, I'm talking about the new age Yeah, I, I'm ad. just roasting him publicly for public shame. That's all. Alrighty, I don't know how long this podcast is going to be, but if you made it this far, congrats. You get a Family Feud star. We'll mail it to you in three months. No, we won't. <laughs> like the Peloton. <laughs> like the Peloton. <laughs> We're not going to mail it to you. However, if you send us an email... Telling us you made it this far and that you deserve a star, then if we ever get some merch going, we'll give you a discount. It's a lot of promises. I said if. Put the if in there. You always put the if in. Okay. Whatever works. All right. Yeah. So send us an email. Let let us know that you made it all the way through and let us know about your favorite NCAA football change. That's what I want to know. All righty. That'll wrap up the podcast for the week. Thanks for listening, guys. That's Chris. That's Shotgun. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all next time. Peace. 
Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.